a tight-knit family. These are people that really loved each other. Living a dream. They were the perfect example of how you live life. Until the unthinkable. This is one of the worst kinds of crimes that could possibly happen. The family and their housekeeper held hostage, tortured, and left for dead. Only a psychopath could do something like this. Then the unexpected clue. That is what broke this case. The desperate manhunt. Command was given, go, go, go. Right here. Right there. And the search for answers. These people had a plan. It's sadistic, it's horrific. Tonight, a CNN special report, the DC Mansion murders. Sunday, May 3rd, near Phoenix, Arizona, a race day for Philip, the 10-year-old son of Saba and Amy Savopoulos. He was passionate beyond belief, no matter how he did on track, he would just be smiling from ear to ear. Jay Howard was Philip's coach. In this exclusive yeah, so, CNN interview, he recalls their last race. A typical day, we would get up in the morning, breakfast, go to the track. Amy and Sava followed Philip to races all over the country, completely devoted to their son and his sport. I believe it was the third time on track that day when Philip had his accident. During the race, Philip crashed his go-kart. Both I and Sava went on to the track to go see Philip. And he was in typical good spirits. Was not phased by his accident in any way, shape or form. Philip suffered a concussion and doctors sent him home for bed rest. He was gonna stay home and you know, this kind of schedule that the doctors had laid out, you know, rest for a few days, a little bit of homework. Home was a Savopolis family mansion in one of the wealthiest parts of Washington, D.C., not far from several embassies and the vice president's house. Woodland Drive is known for having the biggest, most expensive houses in the entire city. But home would be no safe haven. Ten days after Philip's race, a series of strange events begin at the mansion. First, on Wednesday at 5.56 p.m., the security company monitoring the Savopolis house gets an alert for broken glass on the French doors on the side of the house. I'm lucky that I'm still here. Shortly after, a voicemail is left for the family's second housekeeper, Nalitza Gutierrez, telling her not to come to work as planned. She played the message for ABC. Yes, Saba. I hope you get this message. Amy is in bed sick tonight, and she was sick this afternoon, and here I offered to stay and help her out, so she's going to stay the night here. To Ron Hosko, former assistant director of the FBI, it sounds suspicious. If you're an investigator listening to that, what would that tell you? Well, it's going to tell me, one, I need to get that recording analyzed to see are there extraneous noises that are spiking up in the background. And she was sick this afternoon, and here are offered to Is that somebody in the background under duress, hollering? A few hours later, Gutierrez gets a text from Amy Savopoulos. I'm making sure you do not come today. So when you got that text, were you thinking that 
that was strange or unusual to get a text like that. Yes. What did you first think when you got it? I called her right away. Did she answer? No. Hi, you've reached my cell phone, which I cannot answer right now. Later at 9 p.m., Amy orders two pizzas from Domino's, but gives unusual instructions. Ring the bell and leave the pies on the front porch. When the driver arrives, the porch lights are on, but the house is dark. It's just so eerie to think about little did that pizza driver know. Right, so he's walking up feet away from torture, from sadism, from mayhem inside that house. From the outside, things would seem quiet here on Woodland Drive overnight until the next morning when housekeeper Vera Figueroa's husband comes looking for her. And I'm knocking and knocking and ringing the bell and that my feeling it was that somebody was inside. A short time after, he gets a call from Saba Savopoulos. I'm sorry because I didn't call you last night. Vera told me to call you. She has to stay with my wife because she was feeling bad and, and she has to go to the hospital and asking Vera to go with her. Vera's husband goes home. A few hours later, a mysterious delivery is made to the mansion, a package containing $40,000. Court records reveal Saba texted his assistant, Jordan Wallace, instructing him to bring the money to the house. Wallace lifts stacks of $100 bills in one of the family's cars and leaves. At 1.30 p.m., the D.C. Fire Department gets a call reporting a fire on Woodland Drive. Flames are pouring from the second floor, coming from Phillip's bedroom. We do know at this point um, that the fire uh, appears to be intentionally set. Once the flames are around, firefighters discover the grisly murder scene. Saba, Amy, Philip, their bodies bloodied and burned. Vera is rushed to the hospital, but doctors can't save her. A gruesome end to a nearly 20-hour nightmare. This is really excessive, gratuitous violence. It goes well beyond just doing it for money. When we come back, the Savopolis family. Why would anyone want them dead? It's really gut-wrenching. And their suspected killer. How did he slip through the cracks? There's a breakdown in the system somewhere. Once inside the property, firefighters doused the flames. They quickly found four bodies. Three of the four victims killed yesterday suffered blunt force trauma before the fire began. There were injuries discovered, appear to be blunt force or sharp object injuries. It's a nightmare end to a fairy tale life. He tortured them, he killed them, even setting their home on fire. Shocking to all who knew this family, like Mike Minados, who met Saba Savopoulos decades earlier as a church altar boy. This kind of thing only happens in the movies. It doesn't happen in real life, particularly to someone that you know, and particularly to a, a couple and a family uh, so well-liked and well-respected in the community. And that's what's so shocking about this, is that these aren't shady people. These are really family-oriented, good people. 
Lori Diamond went with Sava to his fraternity formal, but he had eyes for someone else. He said there was somebody that he always had a crush on and that all she had to do was say yes. That someone was Amy Martin, the daughter of an army colonel. They first met in high school and both went to the University of Maryland, where Saba seriously pursued Amy for years. I think he had asked her out a lot and she finally did say yes. So what we see like after that, the happiest person you've ever seen. From then on, they were inseparable. After graduation, Saba went to law school. Amy went to work. They married in 1994. She was his whole world, and off they went on their journey. A journey that quickly led to children. Abigail was the first, Katerina next, then Philip. The son of a wealthy Greek aristocrat, Sava soon joined his father's business, American Ironworks. He was excited about it, and he wanted to help his dad and be successful right along with him. The partnership that brought abundant wealth and abiding friendship. We went to a dinner one night and him and his dad were like the two kids that needed to be separated in class. And they were so close and so funny. And I think he really looked up to his dad. And followed in his philanthropic footsteps. Sava and Amy were active in Washington charities. Amy was a regular volunteer at the kids' school. They just seemed like a very nice, quiet Washington couple who had lived on the, under the radar. And did, if, if anything, they deliberately kept a very low profile. This guy didn't care about wealth. He would have given money away. He was all about the experience. A tight-knit family. Whether it was Amy leading them on hikes or Sava taking them on a year-long getaway to the Caribbean. Family to him was the most important thing. He was just the kind of person that wanted to be in love and have a family enrolled with them. And as the summer of 2015 approached, the Savopoulos family was certainly growing up. Abigail was graduating from high school. Katerina was searching for colleges with her mother. Sava was opening a new martial arts studio, something he had dreamed of doing since he was a teenager when he began training in the self-defense art known as Aikido. He used to joke with me and, and I'd put up a hand and he would just touch a nerve, you know, and I'd say, uncle, uncle, stop. I mean, he knew how to defend himself. He really did. And Philip was living his dream as a go-kart racer. Very fast learner, definitely no fear. He wasn't scared of it at all. Philip's coach, Jay Howard, spoke to CNN exclusively about his young student with an old soul. He was, uh, best way to describe him, like 10 years old going on 35. I mean, he was so mature, so well-spoken. He was very clear, he had a great education, great parenting, and uh, Sava was great with him. Howard remembers one of the last dinners they had together. The waiter comes over and says, uh, oh, would you like a bread basket? And he goes, I think I'm going to have to pass on the bread. I'm trying to watch my carbs this week. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, 10 years old. You're 10. <laughs> Philip was inseparable from his dad, especially since sisters Abigail and Katerina were away at boarding school. He was with him 24-7, you know, wherever we went. Sava was with him. Sava was always someone who would, who was in control of situations. He would have done anything. His only son, 
his beloved wife. I mean, he would have done anything for them. He was a protector. And for him to not be able to protect, must have been awful. An awful end. When we come back, the terror inside the mansion. The body was so charred that they couldn't even determine gender. As the smoke clears and the days pass, we learn much more about the brazen killings that took place in this wealthy Washington, D.C. neighborhood in broad daylight. We're looking at this occurring somewhere around 6 in the evening, so this is probably a relatively active street. And right next door, the ambassador of Australia, his residence, right next door to this. Right. So that's, that's uh, taking a fair amount of risk. A huge risk. The victims, Saba and Amy Savopoulos, their 10-year-old son, Philip, and housekeeper, Vera Figueroa, were held hostage for almost 20 hours and tortured. Imagine how sadistic you have to be to slowly wring the life out of somebody or beat it out of somebody or cut them over and over again so that they are slowly bleeding to death. It's the product of an incredibly sick mind. Former FBI profiler Mary Ellen O'Toole spent her career studying the criminal mind. This individual who is doing this, or these individuals, you have a, a leader, a primary person. This person is getting off on hearing the screams and the cries and is enjoying the power, is enjoying the thrill. And I think being able to come in there, control this family, um, inflict these injuries was something that he actually enjoyed doing. But who did these things? Solving the crime depends heavily on unearthing physical evidence at the scene. When you have a quadruple homicide, this is in effect when all hands on deck. You want your best forensic people in this house. Some of the first clues they find, a shattered lock. And this shoe print on the French doors on the side of the house, suggesting whoever held the family and their housekeeper hostage forced their way in. That picture we've seen of the shoe print, right. how telling could that be? Could be very telling if the police can locate a shoe of the same dimensions, particularly if they can identify brand. It may put a person into that shoe. And inside the estate, possible murder weapons. A samurai sword like this one, taken from Savas' martial arts collection. Veteran forensic scientist Lawrence Kobolinski. A medical examiner would have to look very carefully at the blade. Is it uh, honed on both sides or one side? How wide is it? How long is it? And a bloody baseball bat, similar to this, found in the upstairs bedroom where the three adults' bludgeoned bodies are discovered. With blood, uh, at that thick surface, at the thick end of the bat, um, tells me that that was what was used to inflict that blunt trauma, striking these poor people on the back of the head. A knife is discovered in the trash behind the house, and police find fingerprints and hair fibers. That would establish a direct linkage between a suspect or an individual and the crime scene. 
police find duct tape believed to have been used to restrain the victims and matches thought to have been used to start the fire. And then the family's Porsche missing from the garage. It's found 13 miles from the mansion engulfed in flames. Inside the burning car, a green construction vest, similar to vests worn by workers at Savas' company, AIW. Was this part of some sort of ruse that the offenders came in under some um, um, uh, representative of a utility company trying to get access to the house? Later, that vest will provide another critical clue. The mystery deepens as police find thousands of dollars of cash left behind in the house. Why would the killers leave money behind? It was not just about the money. It was not just about all the jewelry that probably was there. That really goes to the motivation of the offender, that these murders themselves were very important. And the autopsies show the murders were horrific. They had to be restrained or else they couldn't have been tortured and treated the way they had. They would have fought back. Mr. Savas Savopoulos was a healthy young man, 46 years old. He certainly would have fought back if he had not been restrained. Even after the ransom money was dropped off, the horror continues for several more hours until the house is set ablaze in the early afternoon. The subjects probably administering additional pain to the victim. That gap of time is, I want more, you can get more. Saba and Vera were beaten, stabbed, and strangled. That's a very close-in injury. It's not like a gunshot where you could shoot a, a gun from a distance. Uh, this strangulation, you have to be right in and at your victim. There's a psychological overlay here to what's going on in that home. Amy died from sharp force trauma. And 10-year-old Philip stabbed and burned beyond recognition. I think it became pretty clear to uh, the uh, first responders that the child had been tortured, uh, multiple stab wounds. The son was engulfed in flame to the point where the body was so charred that they couldn't even determine gender. First responders find the three adults in a bedroom upstairs, Vera and Amy bound in chairs, and Saba on the floor. The 10-year-old was handled separately. Philip is discovered in his bedroom alone. He was the bargaining chip. The threat was made against him. Uh, while getting the adults to do whatever the perpetrator wanted. The unknown of where is my son, I want to see my son, or what pain and suffering the son was going through at that time, it's all in the mind of a killer. Clearly this is where the fire started. Mm -hmm. Philip's bedroom where his body was found. Why do you think they started the fire there, which could easily be seen on the street? So I think this is the mistake of a, a killer who's not particularly organized. A killer who thought that the use of an accelerant, gasoline presumably in this case, would burn faster, it would burn hotter, and it would burn more completely. But the killer's assumptions were wrong. This resulted in the potential discovery of much physical evidence that could be preserved 
tested, people eliminated, people included in, in the suspect hunt. Coming up, an unexpected clue breaks the case wide open. That looks like the pivotal piece of evidence. in shock, a neighborhood in fear. I've never seen anything like this. A family devastated. As Washington, D.C. mourns for the Savopolis family and their housekeeper, Vera Figueroa, investigators begin their search for who could be behind such a horrific crime. There was almost uh, prolonged suffering and torture for the sake of suffering and torture. Hours after the bodies are discovered, the family's Porsche is found miles away, on fire in a church parking lot. Now this is smoke, fire coming out from the front side of the car. Anybody who may have information about the blue 2008 uh, Porsche, please call us with what information that you may have. Then a mysterious figure emerges. Police release grainy surveillance video that shows someone running from the burning Porsche. Could this be the killer? But the most important break comes from an unlikely source, a piece of pizza. It just so happens that the fire never really hit that slice of pizza. That is what broke this case. For DNA experts like Lawrence Kobolinski, it's a pot of gold. You have a lot of cheek cells that tend to slough off into your saliva. And there's a lot of DNA in saliva. And every time you bite into something, you are leaving small amounts of saliva behind. The pizza is taken to a forensic lab and immediately tested for DNA. They compare that developed DNA to a national database and out pops Darren Wynn. Police have their suspect, a 34-year-old Maryland man who worked for Savopolis at American Ironworks 10 years before. Almost a week after the quadruple homicides, Darren Wynn's face is everywhere. You need to stop whatever you're doing and look real closely at your screen because the man identified by the Washington, D.C. police as... The manhunt is on. Suspect is 34-year-old Darren Dylan Wint. Darren Wint is a very violent man, and his violent pro violence probably started when he was very young. He was born in Guyana and for a short time was a U.S. Marine recruit before dropping out of basic training. Wint has a violent criminal past, including arrests for domestic violence, assault, and burglary. Mary Ellen O'Toole is a former FBI profiler. When you have an offender whose family is afraid of him, who beats up on his girlfriend, that's the kind of violence that people look at and they're afraid of him. And that type of violence is not going to go away. In 2010, he was arrested behind a dumpster near American Ironworks, carrying a two-foot-long machete. I think that's very significant because that occurred in 2010, which is five years after he left American Ironworks. So he's back at the same company with a machete, behaving in a very threatening manner. Wendt was only convicted of a misdemeanor in that case, but now, thanks to the DNA evidence on that piece of pizza, he's the main suspect in a horrific quadruple murder. 
It's a giant Olympic-sized broad jump from a piece of pizza to four homicides. Wynn's former attorney, Robin Ficker, who represented him in past run-ins with the law, says police have the wrong guy. I know him to be a kind, gentle, non-aggressive person, someone you wouldn't mind your grandmother going to lunch with. Right now, it does not appear that this was just a random crime, but there is a connection through the business of the suspect uh, and the Savopoulos uh, family business. Went was a welder at AIW from 2003 to 2005, and sources say he had a reputation as a problem employee. But is Wint capable of torturing and murdering four people by himself? How do you restrain multiple people? I mean, these things can happen, but the simplest explanation is there's somebody else there uh, committing the crime, you know, actually uh, holding these other people down while a knife is held to the throat of the, uh, of the son. For now, police only tie went to the crime. A team of federal agents begin a massive manhunt. They track went to his girlfriend's home in Brooklyn, New York. Next, the high-stakes manhunt comes to a boiling point, and Went is not alone. It was really intense. We made everybody come crawling out one at a time. One week after the brutal murders of a Washington, D.C. family and their housekeeper, a major break in the case. A suspect has been identified in a brutal quadruple homicide. Authorities identifying a suspect through an unusual clue. DNA on a pizza crust. ATF forensic specialists recover DNA at the mansion that pins a suspect. You find the pizza that was ordered the night before the murders. You find the pizza was eaten, and it is a crucial piece of evidence. Darren Wint is the prime suspect and a wanted fugitive. He flees the D.C. area. Police track him to New York. He's hiding out at his girlfriend's apartment in Brooklyn. But just before they move in to arrest him, Wint disappears again. How much did they miss him by? Not long, minutes probably. Went had happened to see himself on the news, named as the suspect, and he fled before our people were able to get to the location. I was the first car. Marshal Bob Fernandez leads the team of federal agents tasked with capturing Went. Um, my concern was, since he wasn't an American citizen, that he was uh, trying to get himself some sort of ID or passport uh, to get out of the country. As Fernandez and his team scramble to find Wint, they worry he's got nothing to lose. He's an incredibly dangerous person to be out on the street, especially for a, a patrol officer who might pull him over or try and stop him. The clock ticking, police get a tip Wint's on his way back to D.C. He had gone up on a bus, so we assumed that he was coming back on the Chinatown bus. You boarded these buses to try to find him? We probably boarded about four or five of these buses that all arrived from Brooklyn, but he wasn't on any of them. 
Wendt, they later learned, pays a cab driver $1,000 to take him from New York to this hotel in a Washington, D.C. suburb. Two of our experienced investigators were parked side by side. They came up with information that led us here. So we sent an advance team to figure out which room he was in. We were putting on our tactical gear, getting prepared to uh, go into the hotel room where he was and, and make the arrest. The timing is incredibly fortunate. They spot Wendt leaving the hotel, but he's not alone. Well, the advance team told us, hey, they just took off. They're going up Route 1. Fernandez and a fleet of police cars chase two vehicles. The white Chevy Cruze Wendt is riding in along with a truck of unknown associates. I could see the truck and the, and the car, and so we pulled in right behind. After the suspect's vehicles perform a bizarre U-turn, Fernandez radios for helicopter backup and makes his move. I decided that we just had to take the cars down. And it was right here, right? That's right. Command was given, go, go, go. And we did it just like we practiced. Pinched the car in, other car came around on the side, blocked it off. Fernandez and his team move quickly to pull everyone from both vehicles. Inside the cars went and four others two of them women. What was Went like? Was he combative at all? Was he compliant? When he came out, his body posture and the look on his face was like he was thinking about running. But we were right on top of him and he never got a chance. Finally, after a painstaking 48-hour manhunt, Went is captured. It was such a horrible situation and he's such a monster. I felt great. What did you see when you opened up the car doors? Well, I saw uh, the passenger door of the truck was open after we had pulled the, the occupants out, and I just glanced and I could see a big wad of $100 bills. I mean, it had to be thousands of dollars in the side compartment of the passenger door. Officers find at least $10,000 in the vehicles, $100 bills, the same denomination as the stacks of money dropped off at the mansion. One of the women in the car with Went admitted she purchased more than $10,000 in money orders after the murders. So far, investigators have recovered 30 of the $40,000 ransom. I would think the rest of that money went to went spending it on a cab ride to New York, spending it on himself. For now, only Went is charged with the murders. The people traveling with him are all released from custody. We now learn more about Darren Wint. His green card was already in jeopardy when he was arrested in March for allegedly receiving stolen property. But immigration officials were never notified. If Darren Wint is arrested in March and ICE never received those fingerprints until after he's arrested for the quadruple murders, then it tells me that there's a breakdown in the system somewhere. This time, Wint is going nowhere held without bond in a Washington jail. Next, more damning evidence against Wint, but this case may not be a slam dunk. We believe he was set up. Plus, new clues raise suspicions about whether someone else might be involved. Wint may have had an accomplice. Though Mr. Wint is now incarcerated 
and he's held without bond, our work is not done. May 22nd, Darren Wendt, the lone suspect in the grisly Washington, D.C. mansion murders, is captured and behind bars. He's been isolated for some time. He's kept on an administrative wing. Uh, for a time, he was in a suicide watch wing. These are highly segregated locations, which are cement floor, paper gown, nothing else. Wentz's former attorney in this case, Sean Hanover. He helped us by being open with us. We believe he was set up and that there are more people involved with this. But more than two months pass and no one else is arrested. In fact, the case against Wentz only heats up. Prosecutors revealed damning new evidence at a pretrial hearing. And we at the U.S. Attorney's Office will use the full force of the law to make sure justice is served. Savopoulos' daughter, Abigail, who was away at boarding school when her parents, little brother, and family housekeeper were murdered, raves the courthouse to stare down their accused killer. In court, Wendt won't look her way. His arms and legs shackled. He sits silently as prosecutors reveal for the first time they found Wendt's DNA on a second piece of evidence. A green construction vest discovered inside the family's blue Porsche miles away from the mansion. Forensic expert Lawrence Kobolinski. And now, so we've got some crucial linkage, not only with the pizza crust that was found in the mansion, but now we have an item in the Porsche that was apparently torched by whoever committed the crime. Now a juror is looking at two critical pieces of evidence that says Darren Wint was involved in these killings. Savas' DNA is found on the vest too, along with DNA from a third unidentified person. Could this be an accomplice? Yes, it could mean that. So one way to get around this is elimination specimens. Who might have had contact with the vest? Finding a match on the database would be really a, a major finding. So far, though, no match. But there's more on the prime suspect. At Wentz's father's home, investigators find an $1,100 receipt for an immigration attorney for Wint, dated four days before he was ever named a suspect. Did Wint know police were coming for him? In court, Wentz's lawyers argued their client could not possibly have acted alone and raised questions about Savas's assistant, 28-year-old Jordan Wallace, who delivered the $40,000 to the mansion as the victims were being held hostage inside. Police say Wallace, who had only been working for Savopolis for a couple months, sent a picture to a friend showing two bundles of cash inside a red bag, but four bundles were taken from the bank. Where are the other two? This is before the drop was ever made. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And court records show in Wallace's backpack, his passport, checkbook, and the registration for one of Savas' sports cars, valued at more than $300,000. What disturbs me is that his passport was present in the bag. And what does that tell you? I don't carry a passport around with me. Was he going to flee? Uh, was he gonna leave the country? Uh, escape. So I think the police are very curious about Mr. Wallace. And 
could there be a connection between Jordan Wallace and Darren Wint? Our research shows in 2006, Wint lived in the same Maryland apartment complex as Wallace's father. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. I think that that's very strong evidence that the two very likely ran into each other and knew each other. That very likely was the place where these two men first met. What's still not clear is if Jordan Wallace actually lived in the same building as Wint or just visited. And we found no other indication Wint and Wallace knew each other. I'd say about five years the technology has been there, especially in the electric go-kart. Yeah. Wallace, a race car enthusiast, seen here during a radio talk show, raised suspicions early on because investigators say he changed his story several times about the money drop. Are these inconsistencies based on his being nervous? With all the story about quadruple homicide and him as the delivery person, does the excitement and the risk of his involvement in that case play with his memory? Is it all innocent? Have you seen this before in other cases? Sure, sure. And it happens in, in high pressure cases. And certainly here, the pressure is on because four people are dead. Despite their suspicions, police have not found any evidence implicating Wallace in the murders, and they've not charged him in this case. CNN tried to get Wallace's side of the story, but neither he nor his family would comment. D.C. police have also been looking at Darren Wynn's cousin, who also happened to work here at American Ironworks. He was fired around the same time Wynn left, and sources say the company had to take out a restraining order against the cousin because he allegedly threatened to burn the place down. Though he has not been named a suspect in this case, and CNN has not been able to reach him for comment. Why only Wynn? Why is he the only one behind bars right now, do you think? I don't know why he's the only one behind bars. I really don't. Um, I, I, I'm amazed that they have not brought somebody else in. So many questions still linger. Was revenge the motive? It could have been he was angry about losing his job 10 years ago. He resented losing his job. If the motive was money, why leave expensive art, jewelry, and thousands of dollars in cash behind? There is an element here that seems personal. There are indicators of anger in this. There are certainly indicators of torture in this, all over a relatively small amount of money. I'm sure that Saba would have given everything away to save his family. And could someone have saved the family? You look at opportunities for people to have called the police, to have alerted the police that something isn't right at the house, whether that's the other, uh, the housekeeper's husband, uh, the other housekeeper who was waved off in an unusual way, the assistant, people at work. Is this a story of opportunity lost? As family and friends say goodbye to Philip, Amy, Saba, and Vera, all are left to wonder why anyone would want to hurt this family. We may never know the true story. We may never know. We may never know. I just pictured the three of them together. And that's the only thing that makes me feel better, is that at least they're together.